The Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em-sized bang that could change your life. Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday Major on the planet with $1,001,000 on the table every week. Yes, $1,001,000 guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The $1,001,000 guaranteed tournament is happening weekly, all for just $265 a pop. For all the info, check out americascardroom.eu. Okay, welcome to Ask Gags episode 155 on com podcast, sponsored by americascardroom.com. If you want 27% rate back from americascardroom.com, simply sign up for your account by clicking on one of the ads or banners on the com website. Follow us on Twitter at oneouter.com and join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash oneouter. This episode and all other previous episodes are on oneouter.com website via iTunes for free. If you want to send questions in for Alex on a future show, then please email questions at oneouter.com or you can tweet them to me or post them in the Facebook group. Alex, episode 155. We've had a couple of weeks where we've been rescheduling and doing double episodes, etc. But what's important is you're here now and how are you doing? Doing great. How are you doing, Barry? Uh, well, me and Alex usually have 10 minutes bullshitting or that, but he cut me right off before I started to go into my problems today and said, <laughs> let's just start the show, uh, which is fine. I mean, you know, it, it's his dime, as they say in America. Um, so, no, I really, really hurt my back uh, yesterday. Just, uh, I was close to cancelling today, but, you know, the things oh. I do for the oneouter.com podcast, um, I, I'm in a right state. If you could see me just now, how this podcast is being produced, it really is rock bottom. Um, I have one of these, the best way I can describe it is one of these bamboo chairs that have a big fan-like back. You know, like they're in 70s porn sets. Oh, yeah. And uh, we have one of them. It's like a real, an original retro one. and We use it's in our bedroom, and it's just another place to dump clothes on. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's for, for private photo shoots and a place to dump clothes on. You know, it's, usually, it's usually used as, uh, you know, what some people use their treadmill for. And um, yeah, just I'm sitting on that just now because it's the only chair in the house that's sort of given me the ability to sit and get up without absolutely wanting to burst into tears. Uh, long story short, oh, I just... I just I went down low and I bent properly with the knees and everything. I always do that after doing my back prop, like real bad a couple of years ago. And I was just getting cat food out the bottom of the cupboard uh, to feed the, the cat yesterday. And I just felt it go. And um, oh, no. it is brutal. It really is. I mean, once I'm up, I can walk around if I hold myself funny and like it's, it eases a little. But as soon as I sit down and then the thought of getting up again or running or running it was, uh, the thought of getting up was just brutal and it's agonising. If anyone's ever done it, their lower back, they'll know what I'm talking about. It, so, oh, God, I've done that. That hurts. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just another kick up the arse for me. I'm trying to look at the positives and say, you know, I've lost a bit of weight in the last year, but I've got a lot of weight still to lose. And I'm like... This is just another smack to go, you know what, try and get a little bit off again before Christmas and go into the new year where just like, because I spoke to you a few weeks or a few months ago, Alex, about 
like strengthening, you know, like lower back and it's just a, it's it's of years of sitting, as you say, like at the computer, whatever I'm doing, whether it's buying and selling or trading or playing poker or the podcast, whatever, it's all too much sitting down and, and I, I know I've got bad posture and I sit bad and I slouch, you know, I feel I feel comfortable at the time, but you know, my girlfriend comes in and goes, You can't be comfortable like sitting or lying like that and of course I tell her like Sorry, like if I'm not comfortable, I'll, I'll move, you know. But I'm fine. But once you get up, you really realise how badly you've been sitting for years, you know. So mm-hmm. uh, that's yeah. that's my moan. That's my moan. But yeah, so I'm sitting on this '70s porn uh, chair, and I've got the laptop on top of three boxes because that's a good height for it to sit at for me. And it's like, yeah, this is the One Outer.com podcast, and um, it's it's ridiculous. So, w- yes, it is. what's been happening in Alex's world? Well, to avoid what you're going through right now, I'm still doing the strength training as many days of the week as I can uh, when my girlfriend's not holding the focus pads for me. And, yeah, it's it's weird because I was just talking about this yesterday with my girlfriend. I said, I live in mortal fear or that's a terrible way to phrase it, but I live in just fear of an injury because when you're feeling good and everything's going great, every you feel as if you can finally take on the challenges that always come with entrepreneurial work. Yeah. And when you're not feeling your best, it's not like you and I can show up at work and half-ass it. We're not working for the government in an accounting firm, where if those expense reports take a few extra days, most likely no one's going to notice. That's our ass on the line (laughs) for three days. And three days counts, five days counts when you do your own business and you're not getting uh, any corporate incentives from the government or anything like that because you're too small. And I'm really sorry to hear that you're going through that. It's really brutal, right? Yeah, it's funny because... It's sick because the last few months I've been feeling stronger and fitter because I have been doing a little bit of exercise and I've been doing a lot of walking, which has helped. And I ha- I've mm-hmm. felt really strong. I've not been holding myself as as sort of tight as I, you know, like as I've been aware of before. Going, God, like I feel like I'm holding myself at, at my back. You know, I'm like overcompensating, etc. For for little pains here and there, and I've, I've mm-hmm. that's why it's sort of, it was weird, the night before I had a really stiff and tight neck, and uh, shoulders, um, I actually had a massage guy booked for Saturday, um, someone recommended to me, um, to me a local guy, he comes to your house, Indonesian massage, meant to be amazing, but I'm away to cancel that, because he could make it worse, you know, I'm not going to take any chances getting massaged when my back's just shot out like that, Um but it's brutal. It's uh, but I'm, yeah, I'm trying to take it as just another slap to go. Yeah, well, keep going, you know. And and this is what you want to try and avoid, as you say, you know, as you get older and you want to try and avoid uh, this. And you got to take responsibility for it yourself. And um, I think it's, I think it's been yeah. so cold here as well. Like it's you definitely hold yourself differently. And I have been doing a lot of physical work, moving stuff in that stock and. Like you say, working for yourself today, like I've got orders that need packaged up to go out. My uh, fiance's got her own thing opening tonight. It's the opening night of her uh, thing that she's doing. Um, 
So, like, nobody was here to, like, help me do it, which is fine, but, you know, I had to email people and say, look, sorry, but your orders will be set out tomorrow, because, you know, in this day and age, nobody can wait more than a day on an item that they buy up. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it is, it's weird, but you can let it get yourself down, and it's really interesting, because uh, a friend of mine who was suffering from anxiety, um, he went, and the doctor actually said, when you're suffering anxiety or depression or anything like that, anything less than, you know, whatever, you know, the perfect situation that you, in your head, means that you're sort of happiness or even content, you hold yourself differently, like physically, your muscles are more taut, your shoulders are more tense, etc. And all that can lead to back pains or little pulls in your shoulder or neck. And then that gets you more down because you're like, ah, oh, like you said, you know, if you mm-hmm. injure your neck or your back to the point where you're popping painkillers and you can't do lessons, you're then going to beat yourself up because you're not working and people aren't, you're not doing your lessons and money's not coming in. And that gets you more tight and intense, which causes more back. And it's like this vicious circle. And it really is exercise is the only way to try and even break it you know it's uh and it's been too long i've sat on my arse so um yeah it's uh i have done well this year overall but i got i could do much better and um i'm not one for new year's resolutions and that's why i'm saying before before january i'm going to be out you know once this is to the point where i think i can go and do some more brisk walking and step back up and i just get on it again and get some more weight off because it's not fun you know you know I do like to eat crap and uh, watch rubbish on the television and whatever, but doing it too much is not fun when this is the outcome. It's, it's, it's ridiculous, you know, and uh, I'll take enough responsibility myself. You know, I'm not going to say I'm, I'm cursed, but it's brutal, and that's enough of my ailments anyway. I don't want, oh, you stop, no sympathy cards or, you know, anything like that. I don't, I don't want anything, not like anyone would, but um, it's, uh, it is brutal. And when you work for yourself, I think you're right. I think it's just magnified. Oh, it's way worse. And to your point, it's funny you said uh, uh, in the digital age, nobody can wait. Uh, A bunch of people, I was doing a webinar yesterday, and uh, I put Master the Flop on a 75% discount for like 24 hours which is not going to work because I just got a ton of emails from people saying, like, no, 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 leave it till the weekend. But uh, I got – Gumroad did this lovely thing where their servers were down or something, so you could still process a purchase, but people didn't get their download links for, like, six hours. And I opened my email this morning just, like – 30 emails like where's my videos <laughs> i paid four hours and 12 minutes ago and i don't have them yet right yeah. and i understand because you feel like you bought nothing when that happens but it's i also i, I want to say you know it, like you guys know me you've been hearing my uh scraggly voice on podcast for seven years you know i'm probably not bolting in the middle <laughs> like woo! i got that 900 dollars from a webinar i'm off to mexico <laughs> right like yeah but uh, but uh yeah that was uh speaking of that everybody who showed up to that last night i really appreciate it uh i'm gonna make barry put the download link in the uh in in the liner notes i did a free webinar for split suit so 
just for 75 minutes, I, I did a free PowerPoint presentation on my work with analytics, some of the remedial stuff with it, how you can use it in your game to convert hands like... Uh, essentially, there's a way to turn your hands like Jack-9 suited into effectively when it comes to the win rate like ace-king or kings. And I'm pretty sure I've cracked the code when it comes to that. And I did a brief presentation on how that works. And then I said, hey, at the end, if you guys want to pick up Master the Flop, I'm doing a... I guess it's a bit of a Black Friday sale. Uh, but I, I thought I'd just put it on sale for 24 hours just for that group. But given the number of angry emails I'm getting, I think I'll extend it. Well, when I come back from my girlfriend's place uh, in Queens uh, to Newark uh, on Monday. I'll probably change it back to 400 but yeah, check out the free one at the very least. I think it'll be pretty helpful uh, if you're not someone who has 99 bucks laying around. There's 1,200 people in that webinar, Barry. Like 1,200 people. Yeah. So I showed up in the split suit, really nice guy, but he goes, oh, by the way, 1,200 people signed up, and I was just shaking here at the computer <laughs> just imagining 1200 people listening to my voice well, right it's like if you did that in a room you know yeah it'd yeah. be scary right like well the dumbest thing is like i've battle wrapped in the south as the only white man in the room which should be a little bit more nerve-wracking uh because especially after I choked, I should have gotten a few more like, we shouldn't have let you up there anyway, kid. <laughs> but uh, I, when the adrenaline is going in a battle, like, you don't really feel it. But when you're presenting stuff in a little bit more of an academic sense, you get a little bit more unnerved because there was a part of me that went, maybe I don't know this stuff. Maybe everybody's thinking I'm a fraud right now. And then, like 20 minutes in, I went, wait a minute, I know this stuff. This is all I do every day. Yeah. Okay, hold on, I got this. And uh, But it was weird because I had my notes, and uh, I, I, I would break off to do an anecdote, and then I realized my notes went a different way. And I was thinking, it would have almost been easier if I didn't have my notes, right? But... If with my notes, I was able to get a ton of content in one hour. Normally, my webinars go way too long because I have bullet points I'm trying to hit, and it's such a roundabout way. This one's a little bit more rushed, which I didn't want to do, and it kind of hops to and from a little bit, mm -hmm. but there's a ton of content in it for free. And again, kind of gives you a kind of gives you a preview of some of the master of the flop stuff that is really helping a lot of people, and it's free which is nice. So it, it's one of those things. I, I liked how we used to call this freemium. If you're like I was when I was 17 years old and just living in someone's garage with uh, no heating or plumbing, uh, doing yard work to pay your rent, there's the free video, which will help you and you don't owe anything. And if you got a couple of bucks and uh, you want to help me get a Christmas present for my sister, you can get the full-on version. Either way, we all win. So... Yeah, go ahead and check that out, guys. Well, we know the OneOuter.com listeners love free um, stuff. Yeah, they're in free stuff. I, I, al man. I always think it'd be interesting if you charged a dollar to get into that webinar, how many of the 1,200 would have been in it? <laughs> like 20? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's so funny. It's like, you know, people always say to me with the podcast, you're just going to download numbers and stuff. People are like, God, oh, that's crazy, you know. If you'd only had a dollar each for all those downloads, I'm like, yeah, you wouldn't get it. You wouldn't have got it. You know, it's like... You wouldn't 
Yeah, you can't charge for podcasts because whether people want to admit it or you not, you can't charge for this podcast. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and not to listen to Barry moan about his back problem. Yeah. For, I gained two stone, and now my back hurts. Wow, really? <laughs> Tell us more, Barry. <laughs> but, yeah. Oh, Barry I didn't should, laugh that should, hard because it's time for I should maybe set up a PayPal donation uh, button, like a <laughs> GoFundMe or something. <laughs> and I would put money in. I the first three weeks of my physical training was all for my back. It like it wasn't even like lifting weights, weight loss, muscle building, any of that. It was just me crying on a mat, fixing my back. And you're right. It it was just but dude, it was the most I one of the hardest things I've gone through ever was that. Because it just took it out of me the whole week, right? The three weeks I was doing that, I just had no energy. And then after that, I went, I have a crazy amount of energy, right? I would get done with three lessons, and I used to be wiped out from that. And I went, I can keep going. I got this. And maybe I'll do a little prep work for tomorrow, and that, that'll make the lesson easier. I, ne- I haven't had that kind of energy since I was 24. Yeah. And it was, but the first three weeks were so painful. And it just it, you realize how much damage you do to your back. And then to your point, uh, your buddy saying, the doctor saying you hold yourself differently. My girlfriend just recently, when uh, we took a vacation to Richmond, Virginia to see my family for Thanksgiving, she looked at me and she went, you're a lot taller than I, I always forget how tall you are. And then she went, oh, I know, because you used to hunch when I met you. You used to walk with, you, you know, you'd be hunching a lot more. Yeah. And now it's a lot easier for me to stand up straight. But before, the back muscles just weren't there. So it actually hurt me more to have correct posture than before. And to your point about the stiff chairs, I have a very, I'm using like a kitchen chair right now. But the thing about it is it's only comfortable if I have good posture. If I don't have good posture, it actually kind of hurts. So, like, I got rid of my really good office chair I had. I left it back in a, a place I was staying in because my back was actually killing me at the end of every day. Whereas when I sit in this office, well, not this office chair, this kitchen chair, and just keep good posture, yeah, it's a good, it's a pain in the ass the entire, entire day. But what at the end of the day, I feel pretty good. So th- there are some positives to sitting in that stiff uh 70s chair, part, yeah. so to speak, yeah. in a manner of speaking. <laughs> especially, especially, especially with two women at either side of it. <laughs> All right, well, let's get into the questions. Um, and I, what I've done is, because I did hurt my back and stuff, I, I still use another laptop to do this podcast because it's got the recording software on it. And mm-hmm. I trying to put it onto a Mac is like I've not tried it yet, but you know what it's like. If something's broke, uh, sorry, if something's not broke, then don't fix it, type of thing. Um, yeah. so, uh, our first question is it's from Sean Connor. So these guys are getting ahead of people that have already sent in questions in a few weeks ago, but blame the back. Um, that's what's happened. <laughs> okay, this one is from Sean Connor. Um, Hello Barry and Alex. I've noticed some of the best tournament players in the world started out playing sit and goes. Why is this? And do you think this is still a good approach in today's game for a player starting out from scratch? Thanks. 
Uh, thank you for your question, Sean. Uh, I don't know. I started as a sit-and-go player when I began. Uh, that was how I made my money. When I was 18 years old, I, I actually started when I was 17. I played $5 sit-and-goes. That's how I – my buddy loaned me $50 on full-till poker uh, when I was 17, which I probably shouldn't have been doing. But uh, I played a $5 sit-and-go and another $5 sit-and-go, and I just barreled every street because <laughs> it was fun and nobody could see me. And I made 30 bucks. That night, I sent my buddy 50 bucks back, and that's where my entire poker bankroll has come from. That's literally all of it, right? Before, like, in live games, I would take out, like, 20, 40 bucks or whatever, and it kind of would go up and down. But my entire online bankroll and then professional playing bankroll came from that. But that was because back in the day, $5, $10, $20 Syngos had far less regs. And if you knew remedial push fold, I saw one video by Eric Haber, Sheets Haber, on, I think it was called Real Poker Training with NSX, NSXT2. Do you know who NSXT2 is, Barry? No, I don't think so. Oh, my God. He was like he was like the man when I started playing online poker. You don't even know who he is. That's crazy. No, no, no. Um, okay. anyway from Poker X Factor, but yeah, uh, that guy was, was maybe before my time. I, I started in 2007, so... Yeah, it was uh, a little before that, like 2005. Well, anyway, he used to have this uh, website, I think it was called Real Poker Training. For whatever reason, that was the first training site I got on, and Eric Haber, for whatever reason, did a video there, and I, I looked at it, and... I just kind of got push fold. I didn't know the math. And nobody, I, I didn't really know the math, but I knew if you shoved, people never called. And when you did get called, I knew in Nolan and Hold'em, you weren't really that far behind. So I actually, people were filing complaints against me on PokerStars because they said I was ruining the game in $16 Syngos because all I would do is get to five-handed and shove every hand <laughs> when I was 15x or under. And it worked back then. If you actually calculate the ranges now, with with the tools we have, and if people were calling like Ace Jack offsuit and folding Ace Ten, which was very common at that time for an all in, I could have shoved any two cards, and I did shove any two cards, right? And that kind of edge does not exist anymore in tournaments. There's a lot in Syngos. There's a lot of guys who grind them out, so you can still eke out a living playing small stake Syngos on poker stars. Would I recommend it? Not really. Uh, I do think it's really important. You use ICMIs or quizzes to get really good at push, push folds. There's a lot of guys that are really good at push fold and I don't think are really good at anything else, and they still do okay in tournaments. Uh, I, would, I would never want to do what they do for a living, which is just play tons of tables and play all day, every day, but it is a viable strategy. And I think it's a good framework, to your point. Uh, now, there's another strategy you can do, which I used to do, which was uh, you invest the money, uh, your overhead, in getting a just a really good computer that can run 10 different poker sites at once. Get yourself on every poker site you can. Uh, there's ways to do it. And because all those sites have, like, one sit-and-go that goes off once an hour, right? All these little sites... 
And that's not enough for a reg, so the regs don't play on that side because a lot of regs just want to play on one site. But what I would do is I'd just get on every pissant site there was in Europe or the United States or whatever it is. There's really weird sites now. There's, there were Malaysian sites and you know Iranian sites and all that. Uh, local lottery websites. You, whatever you do, you got to move the money. It's a lot easier these days, too, guys, with Bitcoin. You have a lot of tools that I didn't have. And I just, I, don't, I want the hustle out of some of these guys, you know? It's because when I wanted the money, if there was a thing like Bitcoin, you couldn't stop me getting on every site trying to play one tournament. But I don't know anybody who's doing that. And that's kind of strange to me. But yeah, it's a, in the old days, you used to just run up a balance and then the site wouldn't give it to you. <laughs> They'd be like, are you Italian? Well, Prove, you know, send in your Italian documents and we'll send out this money. And it's like, yeah. okay, there goes that $1,100. <laughs> You'd have to write it off in your ledger at the end of the month, right? Just $1,100 gone. By the way, hours of work, if not days, just gone. And now that doesn't even, with most of these sites, it doesn't exist because once you make a score, you just Bitcoin it out, right? Now, anyway, and it'll probably double in worth while it's on in route, right? But yeah, anyway. Uh, it, you just get the one Shingo from every site, and you know eventually you're going to have nine tables up. You're going to have to get a hysterically large monitor. It's super expensive. All the software will fight with each other. You will be misclick folding and timing out all the time. And I think that's actually fantastic training for poker because poker is a lot of frustration. And if you want to get used to that, by all means, go this route. And you'll start getting better at tournament dynamics, and you'll get much better at gauging how to deal with different players at different times. I think this also, since the way I learned to play when I did this, is it gave me a very good... The only way you can survive doing this is with a very tight, aggressive style. Uh, you'll need to come up with a very very good shove-fold style. You'll need to be really good with your charts, uh, really good with your basics. You can't do very specialized reads because many small sites don't allow for HUDs. Trying to run a HUD with eight different, five different sites running is a lot of times a disaster. Uh, but five sites, not, not really, but seven sites, eight sites, even with an SSDD drive, that's going to be really tough. But you run it, you run like a very like good tag game that you're going to have to formulate beforehand. And when you do that... Uh, I think that's a really good basis, and I think this is a good way to build a bankroll. Not a tremendous bankroll, but a decent bankroll. Uh, prepare for some swings. Uh, I had a lot of swings, and prepare to spend a lot of time doing this. My first year as a professional, uh, from 18 to 19, I just played five, $10, $20, $30 goes. I couldn't crack $50 Syngos, uh for a very long time, and... I'm really grateful I did have that education because, well, it was really funny. Back then, everybody thought every professional pay player was making millions. So the idea that I was paying my bills with $30 Syngos was preposterous to these people, even though my ROI was 30% at the time on PokerStars, which is uh, just $10 a game, mm -hmm. six tabling. Uh, <laughs> you don't get that much anymore, right? No. And, uh, and I, 
well, my average ROI now, if you're lucky, is a couple percent. There's a lot of guys that just live on the rake back, which isn't even that good anymore. Now, uh, you you can also try to get rake back deals on each site. There are guys that can help you. Uh, throughout the community, you can find brokers. Uh, I'm not going to tell you who my guys are because I'm not sure if I'm allowed to uh, because whatever. I, I don't know how these dudes work anymore. It used to be an open thing. You would you you, you would post on 2 plus 2 and there'd be 20 guys. You want eye poker rig back? And now they, they have to be a little bit more private about it and I'm not really sure why, but yeah, you got to get in there and you kind of got to grind in the nitty gritty. I think that's actually a good that will kind of teach you how to hustle. But if you, if you just think you're going to load up 15 tables on poker stars and clean up, like join the club, buddy. It's not going to happen. Yeah, I think what's interesting, I played live last last Saturday. Yeah, last Saturday. And the table was, you know, pretty standard local live game. And there was a lady at the table who was maybe... 50 plus, you know, 50 to, no, no older than 55, um, and she was sitting there, and she was talking about, it really struck me, someone was on about some hand, moaning about some whatever, and usual, you know, just table chat, and she said, oh, such and such showed me these calculators, and it's amazing how close some of the, and this was a woman who was, I watched her play, you know, for a few hours, and she wasn't a great poker player by any stretch of the imagination. But years ago, she wouldn't even she would have just played her hand. Now, someone like that with apps and technology is even considering, oh, what's the percentage here, etc. You know, when right. I when I used to play it's live even ten years ago, people the famous words were when people stuck it in with whatever, you know, called off a hundred bigs with a eight high flush draw. And then get there, they would say, oh, I had a feeling, you know, that's what I would hear, you know, and this is a woman who is, you know, one of the people that you play these tournaments for, because I'm not, you know, it's effectively dead money, or whatever, or as close to dead money, but even the dead money is twitching now, and it's alive, I think, you know, it's like, uh, they have, the the bad players now are, would probably be winning players 10 years ago. You know, it's like mm. they they know when to not call off with this and that and weaker aces, etc. You know, in ten years isn't a huge amount of time. I mean, but in poker it is because you would get people stacking off with you know ace, no kicker, no problem mm. all the time. You see it nowadays. The, the the average players got better. That's why I think some of the live tournaments, right. are, and especially if a five year old woman sitting saying. She looked at such and such as equity calculators, and now she's got them on her iPhone. I mean, straight away she's going to be better. She's going to be better, even if she makes a lot of fundamental mistakes. She's still not going to put it in in certain such that she would have before. So right in the old days, you know what I think, Barry is decent. In the old days, everybody was bad at poker, and if you were decent, you made money. Now everybody's decent at poker, and if you're excellent, you make money. And actually, I would argue it's a little easier to be excellent now than before because people play so predictably. But there is such a big gap between decent and excellent. Yeah. And to be to be perfectly blunt, I, I think most people are not 
better than decent. I was playing in WPT Montreal, and by the way, every three years, it's a new group of pros that I'm supposed to kiss the ass of, because so-and-so won a tournament 16 months ago. And I, these guys can't play. A lot of them cannot play. Just really basic no-limit hold'em fundamentals that we harp on every day in my classes for guys who are playing $22 MTTs, they miss the boat. They, because you can hit a hand in poker and win a tournament and suddenly you're a genius. And that's that. And there's a lot of decent players now, but true excellent poker, I wouldn't even call myself an excellent poker player, but I have I've studied under excellent poker players. I've studied under terrific, great poker players. So even if you're very good now, you can just smash through the field. When people say this poker, I, I, know, I get what you're saying, which is the field is decent now as opposed to bad, but I still want to remind everyone at home, people are very bad at poker still in some instances. Especially, like, if you look at the profit margins of different plays, which is kind of the whole game, with, with, here's the crazy thing, very... All right, Barry, I'm going to embarrass you. You ready for it? Mm-hmm. What's the average profit of uh, Suited Gapper for most players? How many big blinds? For the average player? Yeah, the average, like average good player. For the Suited Gapper, let, let me try and guess uh, here. Yes, you're, uh, you're going to be wildly off. Because you I don't, don't know. know. Le- less than one big blind per hundred. Yeah, good. Okay, very good. Like, it's a third of a big blind. Yeah. But is, isn't that funny? Like, have you ever thought of that question before we, I started bringing it up? No. That is, that is the craziest thing to me, because we should be knowing our idea. We are afforded a lot of opportunities to do different plays in No Limit Hold'em. Now, knowing how profitable each play is will guide our decisions. And yet, if I went into a card room and I asked people, what's your average profit with Ace-King? How much money do you think you make per hand. What is your expectation? I would bet we would get wildly different answers. I bet most people have never thought about it. And that is amazing to me. In the old days, people used to, I'll give you one thing guys used to do in the old days that they don't do anymore, is they used to four bet way more efficiently. There's a lot of times, if somebody is three betting you with 14% of their hands, which happens in some of these tournaments because you get these kids who think they're God's gift to poker, you could four bet 50 big blinds with a preposterously wide range, and guys used to do it because it was in vogue. And if you looked at the profit margins, it was good for four or five big blinds sometimes. If the guy's three betting range was wide enough, and the guy's calling range was so stupidly tight, because some guys, if you four bet 45x, they're folding ace queen, which means they're folding 75, 80% of their range. That's a huge profit margin. And you're still very live with a lot of these hands, even when you get called. And back in the day, that play was in vogue, and people would do that quite often because they used to see Little Hold'em, God rest his soul, do that all the time. Now it's not in vogue. They see the good players just flat three bets, and there is no evidence that's good. It's like, oh my God, if I folded, I was losing 250 big blinds per hundred. Now I'm losing 100 big blinds per hundred. I'm an all-star. That makes no sense to me. That makes no sense to me. So everybody talks about poker is getting tougher. BS. I'm not seeing it. I see laziness. I see people following trends. It's just like life. Everybody wants to put in the minimum amount of effort, and then they want results. 
and the minimum amount of effort is to watch other people playing poker while you're playing poker, because playing poker is fun. Doing what I do, studying at an, studying analytics, is not fun. Telling other people you looked at a calculation is fun. Knowing what the hell that calculation actually says is not fun. Looking through Deuce's crack videos from 2007, trying to understand somebody with a thick Dutch accent while he talks about statistics, and you're not sure if it's on video one or six, going through all of them in the late hours of night is not fun. Sitting down at a $215 tournament talking about the ICMizer calc that you did, which you didn't quite understand, is fun and is social proof. There will always be money in Nolan and Hold'em. Let's go to the next question. I, I think what is important to say as well, it's that human thing again within life, but look at it in poker. It's that reinforcement. If someone calls, if it goes raise, you know, call, 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 and someone calls with the 9-7 suited and flops a straight and stacks someone, they remember that, you know. And, oh, yeah. And so they want to... Also, like you say, from watching people on television, they see people play these gappers and characters, and it's a, a fancy, sexier way rather than you say sitting and. Um, but you've actually made me think. One of the questions I've got is it's not so much a question; it's something I saw on Twitter, and you touched on it there in terms of the four betting and stuff. So we'll do that one at the end. We'll do the next question now. Um, this one is an email from Thomas. Uh, so I will have to open the email and just read it out. So here we go. Uh, hi guys, I didn't have time to listen, so I hope you're doing well. I have a question about late stages in tournament. I am struggling to get final tables and more importantly top three places. Always end up on semi-final or short stacked on final with an early bust though. I had a bunch of final tables with a somewhat safe approach. Play the big hands, best in position, steal a couple of blinds, but it still still feels like I depend a lot on cards. Shouldn't I try to exploit exactly this approach in others? Why do I have the feeling that Mr. Moorman got so many finals in first places because he lagged it through this stage? Exploit any weakness and maybe don't care a little if he busts. Thanks a lot. All right, I have, a, I have an answer for that question, Tomas. Thank you for your question, but really quickly, I want to recommend a book to you guys if you want to understand more what I do for a living and why I recommend certain plays I think you would really enjoy this book too Barry because it really just played to something you were talking about it's called Soccernomics have you ever heard of this? someone else in my a friend a local guy I know just tweeted about that the other day he said his lecture or something was enjoying Soccernomics the book and yeah so I have just heard of it literally within 48 hours I, I bought it in Richmond, Virginia, because I wanted a book to read uh, on the way home to New York in the train, and the train was something like seven hours. I sat down, started reading that book, and before I knew it, we were in New York. It's that good. I mean, it, if you're a super nerd and you enjoy stuff like Freakonomics and mm -hmm. Moneyball and Chasing Perfection, those, those types of books are a really good new book is called Everybody Lies which is about big data, new data, uh, how it applies to our lives, which is, this book is fascinating. This guy uses Google Trends as analytics on people, which is actually really in intelligent because think about it. You'll tell Google things you'll never tell anyone else, right? Because you're going 
you're going to Google something that's personally embarrassing because only Google, Google is going to know. One of my favorite bits of his book so far, men Google concerns about their penis size 170 times more than their girlfriends do about their partner's uh, penis size, right? So it's a totally male phenomenon to be worried about it. But yeah, anyway, on soccernomics, it's really funny. They were talking about the bias when it comes to certain things. Uh, like when you do a corner kick, right? They were trying to figure out is an in-swinging kick or an out-swinging kick? Uh, is that the correct terminology, Barry? Yeah, yeah. Y- yeah, in-swinging in kick. You should be proud of me. I know something about your stupid game now. <gasps> Come on, Barry. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm actually floored that I don't have to listen to baseball crap. I can actually relate to this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, they, do, they were doing an analysis what... What is more? Uh, what creates more goals, an in-swinging corner kick or an out-swinging corner kick? And they interviewed all these managers, and they said out-swinging for sure. And the analysis shows it's absolutely wrong. The reason they don't think it works that often is the in-swinging kick, the, the goals are super boring. It just, it's like a guy like sidekick, oh, there it is. We got our goal, right? Whereas when it's an outswinging kick, it's those sick, like, windmill kicks that go into the corner, which everybody loses their crap, so of course you remember it. So they, they were showing, like, even professional managers have no idea what they're talking about, and that happens in poker all the time. You remember, but going back to the four-betting discussion, four-betting, I remember in 2007, everybody's three-bet frequencies got really insane because... I don't know. They were seeing guys doing that all the time. I got really pissed off one day, and I just started four-betting all the time. And to my surprise, nobody called. Everybody kept folding. And then I watched Little Hold'em, and I was like, this is all that dude is doing. He just four-bets. And then I got to the 200 rebuy final table the first time I played it. it, My buddy and I chopped it. I got 50K. And, like, I had no idea what I was doing, Barry. I was 19 years old, just a... Like, three-bet folding, getting two to one and stuff like that. Just no idea. But every time somebody three-bet me, I was, boop, all right, I'm all in. And they would just, they didn't know what to do. They would just fold, right? But then, and then the one time I called, I river something fantastic. So, in my mind, four-bets were amazing. They were the greatest thing that ever happened. And then I just lost my ass off for six months after that, four-betting everybody after everybody got sick of my crap, Right. So you can apply this too. Now, as a, now as for uh, going to, uh, Thomas's question about how can we uh, how can we get to final tables and win a little bit more? I'm really glad you're asking this question, Thomas, because there's there's one person that makes a lot of money at tournament poker, and that is the person who cashes frequently and wins frequently. If you think about it intellectually, we know tournament players that win more frequently than the main. Uh, they'll, they'll win a couple tournaments over 10 years, live tournaments or something. But we know they're not doing that well financially because they never cash. And there's a lot of guys that do that online. They have these huge swings because they're either winning the tournament or they're out really quickly. Similarly, we can think of a lot of poker players that are really good at cashing but not winning. And they're not doing that well either. So to make money at No Limit Hold'em tournaments, we must cash frequently and we must win frequently. Your two objectives are to cash and then to win. Usually, laddering up is not going to be so significant financially that it should require you to 
uh, knit it up a little bit more to tighten your ranges. Usually, you want to exercise a little bit more uh, creative finesse, I'd like to say, but uh, if I could use something so highfalutin and self-indulgent. But uh, there's a couple different stages of the tournament to me. First off, the beginning of the tournament, uh, if some guy is just opening all the time, I'm just going to three-bet isolate him constantly. If there's a guy opening, there, there's there's things I look for when I'm at a poker table. I look for opening suited gappers. I look for opening dry aces. If I see that, I start three-betting that guy constantly. And the reason I do it is to isolate him and hopefully go for the kill shot, yeah. right? Sorry, Ben. What sort of that's, that's a really good question. Uh, aces have really gone up in value. Like in the old days, you wouldn't three-bet an ace-jack offsuit. This is actually the subject of my webinar uh, that's free, Three Bet is the New Open, uh, that I'm going to make Barry in his emaciated state as he wastes away on his hospice bed. I'm going to make him post. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, like, ace-jack used to be an auto-fold when somebody opened under the gun plus two, because back in the day, the guy was folding ace-ten and opening ace-queen, therefore it was a really stupid three-bet. But these days, I don't know a guy who's folding ace-ten through ace-new suited there almost ever. I was talking, Carlos is supposed to be a net, and one day he was talking to me, and he he was like, God, I had to fold Jack-9 suited under the gun. And I looked at him, I was like, what? Like, Jack-9 suited is a garbage hand. <laughs> like, when I was younger, like, if you opened that from under the gun, you were the worst person on earth. So there's a lot of guys that, like, Carlos will fold there, even though he would like to open it on occasion. But there's a, most guys just open Jack-9 suited, Jack-10 suited, Queen-Jack, King-Jack, even some of the offsuits. So you three-bet an ace-jack, it's a ton of value. And then if you can get a couple suits of value from one pair, that will make all the difference. So I'm usually looking to isolate people. If I don't get any hands at the beginning, I don't get big cards. I'm not really going to go out of my way to try to prove I'm the granddaddy of them all because there's no Annie's in there. So pseudogappers is something I'll exercise a little bit more. Uh, later, once the annies kick in, and hope a lot of times I have a very tight image at this point because I'm also I'm using tag ranges with my opens because well I'll use tag ranges not not to not like six max two five uh, tag ranges where you shouldn't be opening your pseudogappers from the hijack or something like that because everybody's so good uh, but. It, I'll open suited connectors, I'll open suited aces, but I'll really stay away from big cards in early position. Uh, if I'm 10-handed and I have ace-queen offsuit under the gun, I'll just fold. Uh, it's You can open, it's fine, but I, I, there's certainly no... It's not necessary. And if, we're, uh, if I'm under the gun plus two, or let's say I'm middle position, and I get king-queen offsuit, I'm not opening there. A lot of guys open there. I might three-bet that, when one of these guys who's a frequent opener, or I really strongly suspect is a frequent opener, opens, but I'm not really going to be opening that much. And then what ends up happening is you look like a guy who never opens, and the only times you've played, you've three-bet. So everybody just assumes you're a huge nit, because most likely they haven't seen your hands. Now you enact this a little bit more once the ante comes in. So once the ante comes in, now you can start throwing in the suited gappers. Uh, now you're running with, on my PVSH scale, which, position, which is position, bigger pot, superior ams, heads up. Now instead of looking for four out of four, 
because there's not as much money in the middle, you can slide down to 3.5. And what I mean by that is you have like half a hand. And so like half a hand would be like eight, six suited, right? Or pocket sixes is half a hand. But it does, it'll do a little bit better if you isolate these guys. I use really big three bets because, well, if a guy opens like 25% of his hands and he goes to 2.5x, not that I do this three bet, but let's say you go to 8.5x, people are going to stare at you like you're, you've lost your damn mind. But if he opens 25% of his hands and now he's just playing down to like ace-jack suited and sevens, He's playing 7% of his hands, right? And a lot of guys will only play ace-queen or like ace-plus. That's 6% of his hands. That guy's almost folding 80% of the time. When everybody folds, you make five big blinds. You know what other hand makes five big blinds? Pocket kings. So you have just converted your 8-6 suited or whatever garbage hand into pocket kings with no variance. You just made your quarterback rating go from Mark Sanchez to Tom Brady. Do you catch that reference, Barry? Yeah, Tom Brady. But, not Mark Sanchez. I don't know who that is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You don't know Mark Sanchez. But, yeah, anyway, um, I think, I'm not even sure I got the name right. Anyway, garbage quarterback. Anywho, uh, anywho. I'll do a lot of that, and I chip up. I did this to Duhamel in uh, WPT Montreal because I saw him open Queen Nine offsuit from like I think there were five people left to act, and he opened Queen Nine off, and I went okie doke, dude. And he would open, and I would three bet a full three X, and he folded most of the time. And when he didn't, he would. What do they do now, Barry? They call. It's like, I want to play a big old pot out of position, even though I don't know what you have exactly, right? Which is a very strange thing. And then they check fold most of the time. So you chip up a little like this, and then a little bit later you get into the dogfighting stage, I think, in poker tournaments. And dogfight, to me, is you're, you're still far out from the money, but now you can... Those big blinds you're picking up are really meaningful, and this is when I think you gear it up, Right? And so when somebody's opening, you know the guy opens too much, like you, you just go for the kill shot. And any time you can get a, like, let's say there's 30 big blinds in the middle, and you know for a fact the guy is going to call a 10 big blind bet on the river, go for that bet. Don't go for 20 big blinds if you don't know what the guy's going to do, because a lot of these guys choke on the river. If they're really good at river play, they're probably cash game regs. They play tournaments for a reason, right? Which is they like the simplified nature of 30, 40 big blind pots. They're a little stressed out when it comes to the river. Baby them. So if you bet 10 big blinds and the guy calls, guess what? Aces is 10 big blinds. Aces is worth 10 big blinds on average. 10 big blinds, no variance? Good, good lord, deal me aces again. It's like having your own dealer in the tournament. Hey, can you slip me some aces? Yes, sir, I can. Pick up on that opportunity and keep it in the river is the biggest part at this point. If somebody uh, if somebody bets 10 big blinds into you on the river and you just call off because of all variance and I think you're bluffing and I don't know what I'm doing, you've given away the tournament to me. You have given it away. It, it's, it would be like you got dealt pocket aces and you just mocked. You were like, I don't want this. I don't, I don't want this tournament. I just don't want it. That was the one thing I really harped on. That was in my playbook for WPT Montreal is it said sweat every river decision. Because if you can imagine a basketball game where parts of the court lit up randomly and then they would say 26-point shot, that's the river bet, right? 
when the guy goes to that section, you want to guard him. You are not like, okay, take the shot. You know, good luck to you, buddy. Like, you're not doing that because statistically, that's going to be a very big part of the entire game. Okay? 10 big blinds, 20 big blinds. So every river bet I sweated. I thought about for a long time. I used my time bank. Uh, I used my little time tokens with the WPT. I talked to the guy. I thought through it. The only time I called, I caught the kid with jack high. The other times, I didn't have much of a read, and I'll be honest with you, somebody could have bluffed me, but I don't care because it is a much more egregious mistake to call and be wrong than it is to fold and be wrong. Now, if you can keep collecting these river bets, keep collecting these 10, 15-point shots in regards to a basketball match, right? And keeping away from the 10, 15-point shots that the other guys are taking and keep hashing out, getting these little pots, right? Position bigger pots, superior hands, heads up. If you can keep doing that, one of two things is going to happen. You're either going to go to the stratosphere chip-wise, in which case your chips are not worth crap compared to what everybody else's chips are worth, and you should just hammer for the win right now at that tournament. And if you crash and burn before the money, it doesn't matter, Right? Or you can do what I did in WPT Montreal and lose three flips in a row and go down to 35 big blinds. Now, if this happens, you've got to lock up the cash. Now, that doesn't mean you take that much of a change, but it does mean you start going to tag ranges, which means you're probably with more talented players who are going to three-bet you more efficiently. So if you want to fold the suited aces under the gun, those are only worth like a third of a big blind anyway. And in that position, they're worth like, uh, 15% of a big blind. Does that sound like giving up $5,000 in real money or whatever the min cash is? I'm using the WPT now. But that's a very small edge there, and you don't even know if you have it because these guys are playing pretty decently. It is okay to fold that. It's okay to fold 6-7 suited. It's okay to fold 7-8 suited. It's okay to fold the suited gappers. It's okay to fold 2s through 6s, right? And if you don't want to 3-bet the broadways and the suited gappers at this point, uh, when a frequent opener goes in, I think that's a perfectly mature decision because you've got to wrap up the cash at that point and you're no longer at the chip stack where you can dogfight, right? Now, once you get into the money, now the dogfight begins again. And remember, everybody's going to loosen up, so you're not going to be going as balls to the wall the way you were doing in the middle of the tournament when people were still hunting for that money. Now everybody feels like they're free-rolling, Right. So you still want to 3-bet these guys, but for value. You're not going to be pressing as much with the 9-7 suited, the 8-6 suited, right? Unless the situation is perfect. You want to go for the value, and you want to make sure, you want to make sure you're thinking through all your decisions at this point. Now, hopefully, you dogfight enough and you get deep, right? But the adjustments are very small. Like, I actually, if you watched me playing WPT Montreal, you would have thought I was playing very tight, Right? But the difference is, is, like, if I think a check raise is profitable, if I'm right before the bubble, I won't run it, right? But if it's, we're in the money and I think I, I, I'll run it. it, it's a very subtle thing. And, and a lot of people say, oh, you shouldn't knit it up before the bubble. That's the time to chip accumulate. You know who's heard that advice now? Every single person on earth. I get more cheap caches than anybody I know on earth. I have no idea how this happens. I have 22 big blinds where 200 people on out in the tournament, and I cash. And I don't know how. I just sat there and played my game. I didn't open my seven high from early position because that's still not that good of a hand. And it's only from early position. It's only good for a tenth of a big blind anyway, and I'm not 
going to risk my tournament on that. And I just, I end up in the money. The other thing is you've got to have your shove charts. You need to be good on your rejams when you're at these, like, 20 to 30 big blind stacks. The rejam is meat. Because if the guy's opening, like, 40% of his hands on the button and he's calling top 15%, there's a lot of the shorter stacks. You could shove any two cards. And a lot of these guys aren't even opening 15, calling 15%. They're calling 12%, right? In these bigger stacks, if you don't want to put yourself into an awkward position three betting with less than 30 big blinds shove on them they still don't call worth the crap they don't use their icm miser and that to me i think i just broke down how to win a tournament good luck to you guys yeah i was going to say it so it made my butt feel a little bit better (laughs) (laughs) no it is it's good i like i like when you're energized and uh through it um it's it's good I like my job, Barry. It's uh, it's pretty good, you know. Dragging well, across the finish line all these years. Well, it shows. It shows. 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 Well, <laughs> um, what I was going to say, Alex, you are on a tight schedule. You want to wrap up there? We finished tight on, and uh, we can save the other thing for. We're going to record that episode yeah, tomorrow. We're going to have to save it for well tomorrow. Yeah. But hey, guys, uh, if you liked what we were just talking about, go ahead and check out that free webinar I did with Split Suit. It's a lot more talking about that stuff. And, uh, yeah, uh, you, I think you guys will really enjoy it. It'll be in the liner notes with Barry. Yeah, Alex is doing Alex, how can people get in touch with you for private coaching and purchase any of your webinars, etc.? Uh, for private coaching, write me at alex at com. If you want to pick up Master the Flop, uh for $99, 75% off for just this weekend only. Uh, go ahead and pick it up through... I'll, I'll have Barry post the link in the liner notes, okay? And uh, and let's see, what else is there? Check out my new training videos on Tournament Poker Edge. There's going to be a bunch of them coming out. And sign up for my newsletter by going to my blog, PokerHeadRush.com, and going to the top right and signing up in the little subscription tab. If you want to get content like this, I think I've sent out free content every day for five, six days to thank you all for Thanksgiving. So uh, if you want to get free content like this all the time, uh, free podcasts, articles, videos, webinars, all that good stuff, sign up for that newsletter, and I'll be sure to ship it out to you guys. Okay, and Alex, thanks for taking the time today. Uh, Keep your questions coming in for a future episode, questions at oneouter.com on email or you can tweet them or post them in the Facebook group, and we will get round to them eventually. Alex, thanks again for spending the time. Joking aside, I do, I do it. Every time I talk to you and do it, you know, it's, apart from the few depressing episodes that we've both uh, been guilty of in the past, uh, I always feel energised and want to play poker, but the state of my back, I'm going to leave it until I'm a little bit more uh, in the mood to sit for a long time, um, because with these... Uh, Tricks that I pick up from Alex, that's what you got to do. You always think you're going to be in it. So you got a shot to the end uh, if, you apply, if you apply what he's saying. Um, no, Alex, you do. You make me think about the game as well. And I think the key thing is if people just stopped and thought when they're in a hand as well rather than just autopiloting, which so many people do. And I, I've been guilty of it so many times as well. And then the times I do well, it's no coincidence that you're actually slowing things down a bit and taking your time, you know, rather than just... And thinking that you're doing this in every situation, etc. You know, so um, all right. I think that's the painkiller starting to talk now. Um, Good. And in all seriousness, get better, Barry. I know I make fun of you constantly, but I'm really pulling for you. Yeah.
Uh, okay, Alex, I will catch you tomorrow. Everyone else, we will get up tomorrow as well. This is Thursday. This one's going out tonight. And the one tomorrow will go out Friday night. Thanks for listening. Listen to my uh, aches and pains and Alex's strategy. Until next time, cheers. Cheers. The Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em-sized bang that could change your life. Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday Major on the planet with $1,001,000 on the table every week. Yes, $1,001,000 guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The $1,001,000 guaranteed tournament is happening weekly, all for just $265 a pop. For all the info, check out americascardroom.eu.